It's Tuesday, January 12th, 2021, and this is the Talk Film Society podcast. I am your host, Marcelo Pico, editor-in-chief of Talk Film Society and podcaster of note, um, here to introduce episode 78 of this podcast. Uh, we're continuing this series uh, covering the films of 2020. Yes, we're uh, like two weeks into 2021, but um, yeah, uh, it's been a, uh, a hectic last year. So I think we can, all, uh, you know, we can allow ourselves to continue to look back for a few weeks um, because uh, there may have been some movies you missed. Uh, two examples of which are on this episode, two movies we, we discuss that uh, maybe you didn't have time for, for whatever reason, um, or you just skipped out because you just saw who started in it and like, we're like, no, no thanks. I'm not going to watch a movie featuring Pete Davidson, which is fine. We talk about that on this episode. What are the movies? Let me tell you. And who's on the episode? Let me tell you that too. First segment, you'll hear me and my guest, Mike Scott, discussing Alone, the horror thriller uh, film directed by John Himes. Uh, this is one that may have flown under your radar, and um, I highly recommend you seek it out, um, as, you, as you'll hear me and Mike discuss. Um, a pretty damn good indie horror uh, by a very, very great uh, you know, indie director. Uh, so listen to that in the first segment. And then in the second segment, you'll hear me and my guest MJ Smith discussing The King of Staten Island, starring Pete Davidson, directed by Judd Apatow. Um, and this is not, uh, this is another one that uh, I, I I came into, and um, I don't know, wasn't expecting much, even though I love Judd Apatow, as you'll hear me blabber on about in that second segment. But of course, you know who's starring in it. Uh, I also talk about that, my apprehension of one Pete Davidson. But uh, hey, uh, I ended up liking the movie a lot, as you'll hear me and MJ discuss. Um, but that's the episode. Again, first segment, Alone, with me and Mike Scott. Second segment, uh, King of Staten Island, with me and MJ Smith. Uh, before I toss it to me and them talking, uh, hear me talk some more uh, by saying plugs for me. Hey, the Talk Film Society... Patreon, patreon.com slash talk film society for bonus episodes. Uh, support us uh, if you can, if you want, if you enjoy this episode, if you enjoy this podcast or any other podcast we do, throw in a buck. We mo- will be much appreciated. And uh, also follow us and our various podcasts on Twitter at TalkFilmSOC for all the Talk Film Society tweets and articles and podcast episodes. And that's it. Hope you're having a good new year. So far, all things considered, um, I'll be back next week with a new episode, as I will for several weeks to come, because we are not talking, uh, we're not going to stop talking about 2020 um, just yet. Uh, I have uh, several uh, recording sessions lined up to keep discussing the films of 2020. So yes, that's it for me. Now please enjoy... Me and NBA Smith talking King of Staten Island. But first, enjoy me and Mike Scott discussing Alone. And with me for another segment of my uh, of the Talk of Society podcast, Films of 2020 series, 
uh, is Mike Scott. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm I'm good. I mean, it's <laughs> well as good as I can be for the first Monday of 2021. Um, it's it's been a weird day for me uh, there. Um, hopefully you've 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 been okay, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I'm back to work like everybody else, and uh, and so that was. You know, just always trying to gear back up after taking, you know, as much time off as I could have during the holidays. It's always hard to get back into the game a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm all right. Yeah, I... Happy to be here. That's all I can. That's all I can ask is I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, yeah. Well, well thank you for being here. Um, I'm sure I touched on this. Uh, if, if, you know, this is your first time listening to the talk from society podcast, welcome. Um, but I'm sure I've mentioned this before, maybe in the intro or, or in another segment on this same episode, but, um, I had a prompt on Twitter saying, Hey, who wants to be a guest on my podcast? And that was just me being lazy. Uh, because I, I, the one thing I don't like about podcasting is the scheduling is, is, is asking people to be on the show. I, I find that super stressful. Um, but I'm glad so many great people reached out and said, yeah, what, what, what's the show about? What, what, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to talk to you, uh, basically. Um, and, and Mike, you're one of those people. And I, 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 uh, tossed you the premise of what, what I was going for the films of 2020 and you had one in mind and that's the one we're talking about. So Mike, what's the film you ended up choosing for this series? So it is John Hyams Alone. Uh, that was actually the first movie when you tossed out the question that I wanted to talk about uh, because I, I had a hunch that some of the other movies I might have wanted to talk about, some other people would snatch up, but I had I had a suspicion because this one kind of went under the radar a bit that there wouldn't be somebody to, to snag this one, and I just absolutely adored this movie so i jumped at the chance to be able to talk about it yeah and i was telling you off mic uh i'm i'm happy you picked it because uh, yeah let's talk about that uh going under the radar uh, because it, it i mean a big reason why i'm doing this series is 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 for me to play catch up too um with movies that i may have missed uh, maybe went under the radar for me uh because 2020 and going into 2021, um, you know, uh, new film releases are just dispersed in a way that may be frustrating, confusing for people, you know. Um, so Alone is one of those where, like, I heard about it when it was uh, when it was out. I was like, oh, a lot of people on my Twitter feed are talking about Alone. Like, I, I had not heard about that before. And then I saw it was playing at my local drive-in, which at that point... Like, I had gone to see, I think, New Mutants, I think, was playing there. I went to see that, which we won't, we won't talk about for this 2020 series, uh, folks. Uh, don't, don't worry <laughs> about that. Um, and I also saw Unhinged, which would have been a good double feature uh, with Alone. Um, but I saw Alone was playing, and there was a brief window of time where it was playing, and I just missed it. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh maybe, maybe I should have taken that chance and, and gone there, you know, uh, to see Alone. Um, but yeah, I'm kicking myself now because this would have been a great driving experience. And I'm glad I finally saw this um, at home. Uh, I, I dug it a lot. This is a great pick, Mike. Um, so talk to me about uh, you coming uh, to this movie because I'm assuming you're a fan of the director. I just looked him up. <laughs> you know, he's 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 done a few action films that, that you may be a fan of. But yeah, talk about... 
you coming to this movie and your anticipation for it and you finally watching it. Yeah, that that was that was how I came to it is um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely adore John Hyams. Um, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Uh, and, and, and the previous one he did universal soldier regeneration is also very good. And so I'm kind of just ride or die for him. And, uh, when I saw he was doing sort of a survival horror movie and it did play, uh, got to play a couple of festivals and, and got some pretty big buzz before everything went into lockdown. Uh, yeah. my anticipation was, was pretty much through the roof for this one. So as soon as this one dropped uh video on demand, I like that morning, I, I think I may have even gotten up at like seven o'clock in the morning or something to uh, rent it and, and watch it and ended up watching it about three times over the next couple of days because oh wow, not only was it just, um, not only was it just something that, that, you know, was so John Hyams to me, but it just, I couldn't get, it's one of those movies I just couldn't get out of my system. And, uh, and I, I, after I saw it the first time I told my wife when she got home from work, like we need to watch this. So we watched it that night. And then I, so I guess I only watched it twice that first rental. I watched it once in the morning and then once with her. And then I obviously rewatched it again for this, uh, you know, in anticipation of recording with you, but it just, stuck with me uh and when i see a movie from a director that i already like that hits me like that i tend to kind of go all in on that movie because it's so nice when people whose work we like deliver what we hope they can deliver and and i really did think he does on this one um so that's kind of how i came to it that was my anticipation for it uh was i was counting down the days until i could see it uh yeah and um i should say i, I talked about this on the king of staten island episode um it's a, this is a complaint from me a single guy uh who just nitpicks you know uh, uh really stupid stuff but like i i i think when this came out on vod and and, and at the drive-in like I think the VOD price was like maybe too much for me, um, so maybe that's why I, I, I hesitated at first. Because I don't know, I, I I'm not willing to pay twenty bucks to rent something or, or, or somewhere in that area, fifteen bucks. But as soon as I saw this was like on sale at Best Buy for twelve dollars on Blu-ray, I'm like sold. I <laughs> I did a curbside order, got it, and now I own alone, and I'm glad I do. Um, and okay. I should have looked this up before because uh, right before I watched the movie, I saw that he uh, that that that, that uh, directed uh, Universal Soldier Regeneration and Day of Reckoning. Mike, which is the one that features um, Scott Atkins, I believe? That would uh, that would be Day of Reckoning. He's, Day of Reckoning. That, okay. Yeah, because yeah. I think that features a scene where he takes a baseball bat to a guy's skull or something. Uh, it, and, 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 and like that's that's what I remember from the movie. Another crazy shit happens in there too. I was a fan of that, and <laughs> it's something that movie has stuck with me. And I like that you said that um, you know watching alone um, made you get that feel for his vibe. Not not to spoil alone, but I definitely got that by the end of the movie. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm getting I'm getting that vibe again. Um, it, it's, it, it, I'm glad that, uh, cause coming in, 
well, let's talk about the premise because coming in, like, it, I, uh, I didn't initially get that vibe, um, but as things escalate in this movie, it, that 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 uh, that that John Himes vibe, I think, is there for sure. But yeah, Mike, talk about the premise of Alone. So it's, and this is actually one of the things that I think may have kept a lot of people from watching it. Is it is a fairly bog standard premise it follows uh, a woman named jessica played by jules wilcox she is a a as we discover as the movie goes on it's not really a spoiler she's uh suffered a significant life tragedy she is now moving uh and basically driving through the pacific northwest to move to a new city and on her route she encounters a man played by mark menchaca who just gives her the creepy vibes even though when we initiate him he doesn't seem to be that off uh her instincts prove to be correct uh he ultimately yeah. ends up kidnapping her that's i mean that's not a spoiler that's the premise of the movie and then the rest of the movie is ultimately how does jessica uh escape and how does she survive if she does survive and uh you know we've seen a hundred if not a thousand different movies basically using this premise but uh and and we'll you know i don't want to get too far ahead but we've only seen one directed by john hyams and I think that's really <laughs> what sets this one apart from a lot of other movies. Yeah, because that's what, um, like, when I say it had that John Himes vibe, it's in the violence. I'm not going to say what happens in particular, but in the violence, in, in especially at, you know, towards the end, uh, visually, I even got that vibe. Like, uh, like now I'm, I'm suddenly like, Yes, uh, I've only seen you know not too many John Himes movies, but I'm like now a fan because he dis- he distinctly he distinctly makes this premise, which again, like you you said, we've seen this before, like his own, and I'm like yes, like it works, it works so well. Um, but I, I mentioned Unhinged, and that's ex- <laughs> you know speaking of premises we've seen before. Um, I can't help but think of have you I'm not gonna uh, actually uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't you know seen Unhinged Mike but have you seen Unhinged I haven't seen it yet it is on the list but I haven't (laughs) seen it yet I mean I want to see it because I just think I I really want to see crazy sweaty Russell Crowe but I just haven't unfortunately gotten around to it yet yeah, because like uh, there's there's obvious uh, similarities there, like uh, between both Alone and Unhinged, but Alone, like like the only, like yeah, like it, it, the only like really uh, uh, thing to see, uh, like the only reason to see that movie is for that, you know, wild Russell Crowe performance, which is tremendously wild. I mean, he's he's big, he's bloated, he's angry, he's bearded. Um, and he's 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 uh, chasing this woman who who wronged him. Like I think like she should cut him off at, uh, at the beginning of the movie. Um, but in this movie, like it takes that scenario like in the first like twenty minutes. And this is not a spoiler. And I don't know. It just makes it uniquely. It makes it I think more interesting in those first twenty minutes because I will say, Unhinged takes like. You know the very standard, like you know, this character does this stupid thing. This character does this stupid thing. But what I loved about Alone is like in that first twenty minutes when she is like being terrorized by this this man, like on the on the road, like she does the smart thing, like 
a lot of the time and and it's not until things are like things hit like a you know a wall that she finally just you know uh, gets caught by by this maniac but yeah that's one thing i wanted to point out it's like it i think this movie is is smart at times taking this plot that we've seen a million times and just you know making it unique um yeah, I was talking about Jules Wilcox in this because I, I I like her as Jessica, um, and also Mark Menchaca. Talk about the cast. Well, there's like three main people in this cast, Mike. <laughs> but 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 yeah. But but talk about uh, 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 the casting in this. I, I think the casting is terrific. Jules Wilcox is really great because, like you said, she. One of the things with a with a movie like this is it always really runs the risk of being really skeezy right really exploitative and this manages to avoid that and i think a good portion of that is the casting of jules wilcox because the movie never loses jessica's perspective we are with jessica for the entire movie and she's basically really got to carry this whole movie on her shoulders and i think she does a great job because she fills she feels real. She doesn't all of a sudden turn into some sort of superhuman, you know, martial arts hero. She's not Scott Adkins by the end of the movie or anything <laughs> like that, but she is resourceful and she is clever and she is determined. And I think uh, Wilcox really conveys that. Now, on the flip side, this also doesn't work if we don't have a an actor who is subtly creepy without again going too far over the top and Menchak is great at that because he's he's every fucking reply guy on Twitter that oh, yeah. that every woman has ever had to deal with right he's not so over the top that he's like a villain out of a wrong turn movie or something he is straight up a reply guy he's a gamer gator he's you know he is real misogyny and and uh, sexism and and all of those sorts of things in this movie and and I find him to be an absolutely chilling uh, villain in this I, I I just and I think that's part of the reason the movie got under my skin so much and I couldn't let it go is because he is it would have been so easy for that character to be ridiculous and over the top and he's just not instead he's just bone chillingly evil um but in a way that is realistic, I think, in a way that anybody that's on Twitter uh, can immediately recognize. And that's what's interesting about this movie is it's a movie that takes place in the woods with no technology whatsoever, yet it fills so much about uh, the internet in 2020 and online interactions and the way that... Uh, men and women interact online and that was one of the other things that i just really loved about it and then of course the third main character we get is the great anthony held who i'm not going to say anything about because his character what happens all of that is a spoiler other than it's anthony held he's never really been bad in anything he's ever done uh and so he's an extra like bonus treat that you get uh when you're watching the movie yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and, and I knew he was like if if you pick up the Blu-ray, I think he's on the back cover. So I mean, yeah, it's not a big spoiler. I mean, yeah, uh, but mostly it is a two-hander with with uh, with uh, Wilcox and Menchaca. And I'm glad you brought up that 
like reply guy things, you know, the, the, the Twitter toxic, you know, uh, 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 you know, conversations, um, comparing, you know, that to alone, because again, I, uh, I, there are like a lot of twists and turns in this. I don't want to like spoil everything, but there's a moment that that came to mind when, uh, Manchaka is like basically prodding at, uh, Wilcox's character and just the, the way she handles it or the way she doesn't handle it is like is was brilliant like because i i, I saw that as yeah like you said like a, a signifier of like yes this is not only like a survival uh, horror film but also it says something about how men and women uh or how men you know talk to women uh in in purely toxic ways so that's I appreciate it. That was another smart move um, in this movie. Um, what else can we say? Cause it, you know what? I just realized this is a hard movie to talk about <laughs> because it's it it is like it is a, it, it, in 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 the simplest ways. It's you know it's just between two characters and they're going through the woods. Uh, you you know one thing I did appreciate about this it didn't turn into Rambo. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> As I think it, it, it for a second there, I thought it would turn into that. But like you mentioned before, I think um, Jessica, her character, is more, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, resourceful in like surviving, but more in resourceful in just, um, you know, staying, you know, staying alive. Not like fighting, but like staying alive. So that's what I appreciate about this movie too. Yeah, absolutely. This isn't, you know, and I love this movie, so I'm not comparing it as a criticism but compare it to like Coralie Farge's Revenge which goes mm-hmm. full like Mad Max by the end of that movie uh, and and I love I love that movie more than life itself but this isn't that story this isn't trying to tell right. that story this is trying to tell a story of uh basically a woman's just determination to live and uh, frankly it, you know Again, you're right. It is hard to talk about without getting into spoilers. But I also, on the flip side, folks, from a narrative standpoint, there's nothing in this movie that you're you haven't really seen before. So I can kind of dance around them without, you know. But um, if she could have just left the situation at any point, she would have. She has no interest in picking this fight. She just wants to get away. The problem is, is the right. fight keeps coming to her. And uh, and so I do appreciate that. The other thing that I really love is the way Hyams uses drone shots and a widescreen frame to really highlight the isolation of this forest. I mean, this movie feels lonely. Like you watch this movie and you just feel isolated and alone. Uh, and that's one of the things that I love about him. He's, in my opinion, he is by far and away the best, most creative direct-to-video director working right now. Uh, oh, yeah. And and this is another one of those where he has an eye like somebody like Soderbergh or like a great cinematographer like Caleb Deschanel or somebody like that. He he knows how to use a frame and man, he brought his A game to the way this movie looks. It's just absolutely beautiful while also being completely isolating and, you know, just chilling to a certain extent. There's there's a scene I remember 
when I told my wife that we needed to watch it, I was like, there's a scene where it starts raining and I actually started shivering because the sound design and the way he shoots it, you just feel cold and wet. And that's not something a lot of movies can pull off. And that's that's one of the things that I just absolutely adore about this movie. Yeah, uh, I'm in complete agreement because um, uh, Himes has just this um, uh, incredible eye like like you're saying um even though he's you know he has these uh low budget films these directed you know video sequels like i'm i'm still like visually floored by a lot of these shots in these movies like there's a shot of like uh manchaka as like uh he's taunting you know wilcox's character and he's like in the center of the frame it, it, it's at night there's like a light on him because he has a flashlight and it's like a wide frame and it's like stuff like that shots like that i'm like yes i <laughs> i want more of this in like these these low budget movies um and yeah i i i again like after seeing this i'm like yes i'm going to keep more of an eye on this director and what he does next because he's 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 somebody who uh, even though like it's hard to escape the look of uh, i i don't want to say cheap but 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 you know what I'm saying. It's like it, it's a low budget, you know, film. Um, uh, we you know it's it's uh, uh, these these actors as great as they are, you know, they're not like a list actors. But he, with the resources he has, he he has a unique visual style, and I got that from watching alone. So ah uh, yeah, it's. This, this movie's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you agree. And and that's, that is the reason. Look, this isn't, it, it did make my top 10 list this year, but it, I, I don't expect it to make everybody else's, but that's exactly what it is, man. The movie's just good. Like, I'm not telling yeah. you it's going to change your life or anything, but it's just good. And John Hyams is good. And people really need to know his name because he is doing, you know, I have often called Day of Reckoning, you know, basically uh, the best action movie David Lynch never made. And and so, like, he's, yeah. he's doing things in these low-budget movies that so few other directors are, are even attempting, let alone succeeding at. And he succeeds at them with aplomb. Like, he just, he nails everything he does. And so... Yeah, I just, it's a good, and it's also a breezy, it's a tight 98 minutes, man. This shit wastes no time. It gets in and gets out and uh, leaves you wrecked, but it, it, it doesn't screw around and waste a bunch of time with stuff. It's an efficient little movie. Um, uh, this is breaking news for me, but I I, 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 I was looking at uh, Heim's filmography um, as we're recording, and of course, that's the Universal Soldier Regeneration Day of Reckoning. And I was like, All Square? That sounds familiar. I clicked on All Square just now, and that is a movie I fell in love with uh, at the South by Southwest, South by Southwest Film Festival in 2018. Um, I don't think... It, have you seen this movie, Mike? I have. All Square? I have seen All Square yeah. because I'm a big John Hyams fan. and uh, Of course. And that's the thing. It's a friggin comedy it, like it's a drama comedy but it's so unlike anything else he's done before or since and that's again why i love the guy because like <laughs> how does that movie even fit how does he go from universal soldier day of reckoning to all square <laughs> and then to back to alone 
Like it's been. This is like a. I mean, I. I uh, this during this recording, folks listening, I had a breakthrough. I've been a, I've been a John Himes fan, and I didn't even uh, I've been a huge John Himes fan. And I didn't even know it really until just now, because <laughs> like he did All Square, which is like super great. Which I think it, it's out somewhere. I, I I hope it got you know a, a, a proper release and it's available in in most places. Uh, I love that. I love Day of Reckoning. Uh, Alone is amazing. So yes, folks. If anything, keep an eye on this guy. Go back and watch his work. <laughs> be, be a fan like Mike and I of, of, of John Himes. And, yeah, and watch all these movies. These are good. Oh, uh, I, the, the, I, I got more out of this conversation than I think a lot of the conversations I've had in the past, Mike. So. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to help. Um, he even, made, yeah, he even made Z Nation, that sci-fi channel uh, zombie series. The episodes he directed are by far and away the best looking of those. Like the guy just can do no wrong. So I, I'm glad that uh, you've had this revelation and this breakthrough. I, I really am. That, that fills my heart with glee. <laughs> yeah. Captured live on mic. Uh, that's, that's amazing. Um, so before we go, Mike, I also want to talk about 2020, the pandemic and uh, your movie watching habits and how they've changed because I'm assuming they've changed. I mean, I, I haven't talked to somebody yet who said the, the, the viewing habits haven't changed, you know, during the pandemic. Um, but talk to me about, um, uh, you know, how you had to change gears um, once the pandemic hit. And, and, and then, you know, and then we'll also talk about like what other films of 2020 you've seen that you could recommend. So I actually probably have had my viewing habits change less than most. I am at the point in my life, and this has been building for the last couple of years, of I am just kind of over the theater. I know that's sacrilege to be a, a movie fan and say that, but I just haven't had a good theatrical experience in a long time. And so for me... I had gone, you know, the height of my movie watching in the theaters was to because I'm also old AF. Um, the height of my movie watching was, you know, around 2002 when I saw pretty much everything that was released in the theater to last year. I think I saw like five movies in the not 2020, but 2019. I think I saw like five movies in the theater. And uh, so for me what it's actually done is working from home has afforded me the opportunity to watch a lot more movies. So I yeah. set my all time record for movies watched in a year in 2020. Um, but, uh, that isn't always necessarily a good thing. Cause I was watching so many movies that I feel like maybe a lot of them didn't get the attention. Uh, they, they necessarily deserve. Now, luckily I also watch a lot of, crap so uh, so they, they don't always deserve the attention um but uh you know for me i am very pro streaming services i'm very pro day and date releases i remember when steven soderbergh tried to do that you know 10 12 years ago uh and yeah. and with bubble and thinking that that was the way of the future and it took a lot longer to get there than I thought it would. So I'm, you know, I'm pro releasing wonder woman, 1984 day and date on HBO max, uh, regardless of the, the quality of that movie that we won't get into. But, uh, you know, um, so for me, this has actually been from a movie watching standpoint, 
a bit of a silver lining. I'm kind of the weird one that's been kind of like everything about the pandemic sucks except for the movie watching aspect of it because I got to watch Alone at home. I got to watch Bill and Ted 3 at home. And, uh, you know, I'm also fully willing to acknowledge I am privileged as shit. Uh, And so I have a very good home theater setup that allows me to replicate, uh, you know, a theatrical experience in a way that a lot of people can't. Uh, If I had to watch, you know, these on my iPad or my laptop, I might not. I might not feel the same way, but for me, I'm, I, I've been happy to be able to watch stuff at home. Yeah. Um, I, I've talked about this before, but I've like, I, I know myself, uh, I, 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 I've come to the, um, uh, I accepted the fact that I have a very bad attention span. So I think the reason why I love going to the theater so much is I'm not distracted by anything. And I can just focus on the movie and, you know, either, you know, enjoy it, say, yeah, it was good. I watched the whole thing or just sleep through it. Um, yeah, which, which is, which is like, that's like and that. And also film festivals, which I, I was privileged to go to because I run a film site and they're like, yes, come, come to this film festival. So take out like going to the theater, take out film festivals. My number was the lowest it's been in like 10 years. <laughs> like, so I, and, but luckily by the end of the year and, you know, some, sometimes during the year I did find, you know, the, the right circumstance, the right time, the right place. Well, not place. It's my living room. You know, the, the, all the mitigating factors worked where I could focus and watch movies at home and enjoy them. And I've, and, and I've have, I've have had those experiences where I'm like, yes, this works. I can do this. I can do this. I can make this work. And yeah, I'm, I'm not going back to a theater until, you know, there's a vaccine, uh, <laughs> that I can, you know, take and, you know, have, have it be all clear. Um, but until then, like, I'm going to make it work here at home. I guess I'm also privileged because, I have a 4K setup, you know, I have my 4K Blu-rays, I have, you know, uh, you know, pretty much all the streaming services that I, you know, that I require. So I'm making it work. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. I was just gonna say, it's actually funny because I've had a lot of friends on Twitter who have been like, this is like the least, just like you, this is the fewest movies I've watched in a year. And I'm like, or in like 10 years. And I'm like, man, I like blew through. I almost hit 500 this year, which normally I, <laughs> I hover around 220. So like, uh, but the other thing I wanted to mention or uh, that you brought up was film festivals. And that that is actually, again, a, a funny thing for me because so I live in Salt Lake City, uh, the home of the Sundance Film Festival. And so I've spent my life going to Sundance. I will tell you, I had more fun doing the Chattanooga Film Festival online this year than I ever had going to Sundance. And I think part of that was just because I was able to watch so many more movies because I would get done with one and just immediately click play on another one where you know at a lot of film festivals you got to wait in line and you're trying to get tickets or even if you have the pass it's like you got to wait and you can't just go one right after another and so i i actually am really enjoying that a lot of film festivals i don't think film festivals should ever go away i think there should always be an in-person component but i think a lot of them like the smaller ones like Chattanooga should also do an online component because I think 
people like me who are not going to fly to Chattanooga, Tennessee uh, for a film festival will absolutely pay 30 or 50 or even a hundred bucks to be able to see those movies from home. So I don't know. I don't know what the future looks like. It's going to be interesting. And I think anybody that says they know what it's going to look like is probably either naively optimistic or trying to sell you something (laughs) because I don't think anybody (laughs) knows right now. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Soderbergh before, because if anybody, you know, has, you know, the, the, the foresight to look into the future and be correct. It's him. And, yeah, uh, and I'm glad you brought up Bubble because I rarely hear anybody talk about Bubble, and I always bring up Bubble. So I I, I'm, I'm, I thank you for that, Mike. Uh, because, yeah, like he, you know, not to say he's right all the time, but, you know, it, it, I said this on the Soderbergh 2828 episode on Let Them All Talk too. so um, if you already heard me say this, you know, skip forward ahead 10 seconds. But, you know, it, uh, going back all the way to, to, to that, um, like, he he was right about, you know, films, uh, you know, um, being available, you know, day, date. I think he released Bubble on DVD and in, oh, no, on, like, HDNet and in theaters at the same time. And that seemed revolutionary at the time, and it didn't work right away. But now, look, what's happening with HBO Max and all this. So, um, And then with film festivals... I mean, I tried my best to do some online film festivals in 2020, and uh, just today I actually um, applied to uh, South by Southwest 2021, um, and and I I'm going to try my best to, you know, uh, get in the mood to watch these films at home because uh, the ones I've tried uh, in 2020, the film festivals, they weren't successful for me because, like I said, my attention span sucks. And um, I don't know. I just need to focus more. Uh, I, I swear, people listening, like if I get uh, um, accepted into South by Southwest 2021, I'll do my best to cover those films, maybe on the podcast, maybe in, in interviews, and and enjoy that experience at home. So I'm excited for the future, Mike, because I think there there's going to eventually be like a mix of like you know in person and online, and um, like let's not like. You know, move past the online uh, um, uh, part of this because, like you're saying, like people uh, who aren't able to, you know, fly to the locations, you know, fly to, you know, Sundance or you know Austin uh, or New York, you know, you know, let them have the chance to experience it at home. So that's that's one thing I do love about um, if there is a silver lining to all this, um, it's that that's. That, that factors in now, and I think that should say a part of film festivals. There's always been an inherent sort of gatekeeping quality to film festivals, right? And and, and I, look, I mean, I, I am at the epicenter of one of the most gatekeepy friggin' film festivals in the world, so I, I get it. And, and I've been totally privileged to be able to, like, yeah, I just you know, Park City's 20 minutes away from me, or they show movies here in Salt Lake, so I go see them. Uh, I, I like the idea of opening those gates a little bit because you're never you're never going to replicate that festival experience from home. You're never going to be able to replicate the Q&A's or, you know, one of my all time great celebrity encounters was just straight up running into Paul Walker on the street. And like, oh, wow. yeah, you know, and and like you're never going to be able to replicate that. So the people that want to go are still going to make time to go. But at the end of the day, I still think 
you know, festivals are ultimately about the movies and people should be able to see the movies. So hopefully that that there there's hopefully there's a happy medium there. Uh, I feel like I've taken this way off topic, but I apologize. Oh, no, <laughs> this is like uh, uh, for, for each of these conversations like this is exactly where I want, you know, this to go. Is is because that's what I'm fascinated about. Like ultimately, is you know I want to look back and and focus on the films of 2020 and you know uh, there's stuff that you know people have missed, I missed, and you know just to ju- just to you know for one say hey you know let's not put an asterisk next to 2020. Like there were still great movies out, but then also I want to talk about like the future because I'm ish- I'm interested in that really because you know this the pandemic it is a shitty thing that happened, but it's it's sort of just burst open you know uh new ways to experience film and to you know to to paraphrase steven soderbergh like a movie is a movie you know whether you watch it like at home or in a movie theater that's what counts is like it's the movie itself and he's firmly in, in you know he firmly believes in that he doesn't care if you see uh you know his movies in a theater or like on on you know uh, at home uh, or, or I think even an iPhone, he doesn't care. It's all about the movie. And, you know, I, as much as I love theaters, you know, I have to keep that in mind. I think he is right. All, you know, when, when you boil it all down, the movie's the movie. So maybe that's what we should, you know, keep in mind, you know, moving ahead. Um, but yeah. Uh, thank you, Mike. <laughs> this, this was a great conversation. It was, man. Um, yeah. Uh, before we go... Um, plugs. Uh, where can the people listening find you online? It's sure. So you can find my personal Twitter at Hibachi Justice and my letterboxed at Hibachi Justice. Um, you can also hear the work that I do with uh, Dana Buckler on the Dana Buckler Show at the Dana Buckler Show. And then I also, if people listening are wondering why I kept talking about Scott Adkins so goddamn much, <laughs> uh, I also run a podcast called Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world, and uh, where I am going chronologically through his career, talking about every one of his movies with him, as well as a special guest every episode. Uh, so Scott joins me every episode, and then I also have another guest every episode. You can find that at Adkins podcast on Twitter and you can hear it pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Awesome. Please check that out, folks. Um, Again, thanks, Mike. Great conversation. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Now uh, for another segment in uh, Talk from Society's uh, films of 2020 series uh, for the podcast, the Talk from Society podcast. My guest on this segment is MJ Smith. Hello, MJ. Hey, Marcelo. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Third good. recording of the day. Busy Sunday. Oh, wow. Busy Sunday. Yeah. 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 I, I figure, it, I think I do this every January. I go, I'm going to just, just go for it. Just schedule as many recording sessions as, as possible. And then as the year goes out, it just peters out. <laughs> it's just mm. I do all I do all the work in January, and then you know, just see where it goes from there. Uh, yeah. How are you? How's your Sunday, MJ? Good. Um, I, most of it was spent watching this movie because it's kind of long. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, uh, and then I also I got the uh, the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 
remaster Ooh. and got that installed and booted up. So I I bought that uh, during Black Friday uh, this past year, mm. and uh, I played some of it. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's a- actually it's funny you bring that up because I'll get this out of the way. Um, I'm pretty sure this is gonna this segment's gonna be uh, following another segment where I talk about this. So it's it's I'm glad it's all tying together. But yeah. previously I had talked about how in a in a, in a short amount of time I watched this the movie we're gonna talk about and a, a few other movies that kind of hit me uh, emotionally. Uh, you know, because um, uh, they were emotionally heavy movies, mm-hmm. and I tried to watch after after seeing like two of these you know, heavy hitters. You know, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna watch something something else that'll, you know, that's gonna be good that I, I need to watch. So I put on Queen's Gambit, and I made it about oh, no. I made it about ten minutes in, and I go, all right, this is also pretty heavy. I need to cool off. I've been <laughs> I've been having a, you know, an emotional time with with media. So what I did is I turned off Queen's Gambit. I'll come back to it later. I'll watch it, you know, uh, when, when when I'm ready. So instead, I just played Tony Hawk uh, remaster, you know, for like two hours and then went to bed. So nice. yeah, so uh, treat yourself, folks. You know, <laughs> yeah. watch watch these great movies. But if you're feeling down, if you need a break, take a break. That's that's what I learned recently. Um. Having said all that, what's the movie we're talking about, MJ? Because I asked my guests for the for these segments covering the films of 2020. Uh, I told them to pick a movie, and we would just focus on that movie. Uh, what's the movie you ended up picking, MJ? I went with The King of Staten Island, uh, the Pete Davidson starring, Judd Apatow directed, co-written by Davidson and Apatow, and uh, David, oh gosh. Cyrus. Uh, Cyrus. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was it. Was a 2020 kind of comedy movie uh, about Pete Davidson, sort of semi autobiographical about the loss of his father and um, just him dealing with that and kind of coming to terms with it and processing his grief. Um, his father, I think, famously is is pretty well known fact that his father passed away on 9 11 um, as a New York firefighter. Right. Um, in the film, it's different. It's just a hotel fire that he was saving people during. Um, so it's not, you know, one-to-one, but it's it's enough to know that it's about, you know, Davidson's life. Yeah. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like almost like uh, Davidson wrote this as like a what if, like if he didn't, you know, end up on SNL, you know, to acclaim. It's like, you know, if he had stayed on Staten Island, this is kind of, well, not, you know, kind of, not, not, not like a one-to-one, but, you know, an alternate universe you could see Davidson end up, you know, like like any, uh, you know, not not almost any any other resident of Staten Island, but you know, um, you know, th- this could have been his life, which is interesting. Yeah, I, I took that in mind too, knowing Davidson's uh, uh, real life and taking that into account as watching, you know, King of Staten Island. That's why I said at the beginning of this segment, this is a kind of heavy movie. It's funny. It's yeah. it has some great laughs, like any Judd Apatow movie. But yeah, <laughs> it definitely deals with that sense of loss and acceptance and oh it's uh, i i i like this movie a lot mj i'm glad you picked it um uh i'll also say um and, and we'll talk about uh movie watching during 2020 it's been a reoccurring thing i always ask my guests mm-hmm. but um we were talking off mic about how i just watched this uh for this podcast and i've been meaning to watch it um since it came out uh, back in june 
but it's it's been a it's been an interesting um, uh, acceptance of like what I'm willing to pay for movies at home, <laughs> you know, because yeah. uh, it's one thing <clears throat> if I just pay a, you know a ticket price to see a movie in a theater because that is its own experience. Like I'm paying for the experience of watching a movie on the big screen, big sound, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Then, there's another thing to say, hey. You know, uh, rent the King of Staten Island on iTunes for twenty dollars. And I'm like, eh. so that's why I, I yeah. waited. I waited, and then it was on sale. It was like ten bucks on iTunes, um, end of December. So I was like, yes, finally, I'll knock off this movie, which I've been meaning to see for a long time because I am a big Apatow fan, and I'll talk about it on the podcast with you, MJ. So it, it worked out. I, uh, uh, it's, it's one lesson I learned uh, during the pandemic. Um, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm willing to <laughs> pay just enough for movies I want to see at home. Um, yeah, yeah. MJ, talk about um, your your first watch of this movie and uh, how uh, were you anticipating it? Were you looking forward to it? Yeah, t- talk about that. So I I actually won a Blu-ray of this movie, which is how I got to ah. see it. I, I uh, another podcast I listened to was holding a contest to show off your movie themed tattoos and potentially win a uh, a copy of King of Staten Island on Blu-ray. And so I have this. I have a big Jaws piece on my forearm, and uh, I submitted it, and that was one of the winning. I think they were giving away three copies of it, and that was one of the winning submissions. So uh, yeah, I got it uh, without having to pay for it, which is always nice. Um, nice and yeah uh i watched it almost as soon as i had gotten it because i had kind of heard some good things about it apatow's a director who um i think i need to revisit some of his more recent output i haven't seen train wreck um but i remember not being super into funny people or this is 40 but something that i don't think it's a 2020 thing but something it's it's a me getting older thing yeah is I'm appreciating these sort of slice of life borderline hangout movies a lot more. I think the older I get, um, you know, is something like um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I didn't. I there's a period of time in my life where I don't think I would have appreciated that movie as much as I would have because kind of nothing happens in it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I always felt like I didn't like Dazed and Confused, but I feel like I need to go back and rewatch it because I think I would like it because I loved Everybody Wants Some and nothing happens in that movie. (laughs) Um, And so I think I've kind of felt that way about Apatow's previous output. I've also kind of been a snob about, oh, well, it's a comedy movie. Why is it over two hours? And that has changed. Um particularly with King of Staten Island. So the first time I watched it, I really locked into kind of the leisurely pace of it and how uh, kind of relaxed and natural the movie felt. That's like the biggest word I can use to describe it is it just feels like I've seen these characters, uh, you know, not not uh, an East Coast resident at all, but I come from a small town in California that's, you know, kind of, kind of the black sheep of california we're not quite central california not quite southern california although we do get the southern california discount at disneyland (laughs) um and you know we're also like an hour and a half north of los angeles so we're this like weird uh bumpkin uh top hat to that area 
and uh, it's more rural than a lot of places that people think of when they think of California. So I definitely relate to the sort of outskirts of major metropolitan areas that people don't take seriously um, vibe that this movie was putting out. And, you know, I don't think that I like my life doesn't reflect this at all. I'm not, you know, an aspiring tattoo artist or anything like that, but I definitely can see how I've known people who are kind of like this and don't have a ton of direction and how I've felt like this in the past too. Like it's a very Davidson in particular is a really good anchor for this movie. He's very natural. He's very, um, um, he just fits the part like a glove, which you can say, you know, maybe it was easier or not because it's, it is semi-autobiographical, but there's a, there's an easiness to the movie that, um, it kind of caught me off guard. Oh yeah, uh, I'll say for sure this is like uh, I, I've had my doubts about Pete Davidson, uh, and sure, and, and it's mostly been just because of um, I guess his fame outside of the work he's done on TV and movies, um, which is you know just something you know I shouldn't do. But I, yeah, it right. just I just have that like sense of like oh I don't like that guy's aura. I just don't like his vibe. Yeah, yeah, sure. But then watching King of Staten Island, I'm like. Uh, yeah, I, I I was wrong because in this particular film, like I I, I find that I connected with him. You know, I I connected with mm-hmm. I connected with his character. I I thought he 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 was a good actor at times, and yeah, if anything, this proves to me that Pete Davidson is somebody worth watching. So that's that's a huge point for this movie for sure, starting off the bat. Um, and it does feel so real. Uh, uh, not you know, not that I've you know been in that situation, but um, I, I come from a small town, and that feels very real. That sense of like you know wanting to you know uh, make something of yourself, but you're just kind of you know stuck if if it's you know by your own means or by what what other means. Um, what other situation you're in for whatever reason you're just stuck in that town and um, uh, yeah that felt very real to me um, but I want to go back to, yeah. to Tapatow okay. for a bit uh, MJ um, yeah because I, I find that fascinating your take on on Apatow because um, I've always I, I I think I've always been on Apatow's side when it comes to like people complaining about you know the length of his films or like uh, his his uh, more like drama uh, drama driven comedies like like uh, mm. funny people, I I because I love funny people. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, comedies ever. Maybe <laughs> um, all right. And I love this is forty uh, because I think he has like this unique voice of like I th- I think successfully bridging the gap between like real human drama and comedy. Because uh, it's one reason why I just felt terrible. Uh, well, not like the only reason in 2020 I felt terrible. But I missed this in theaters, and I always made it a point to see an Avatar movie in theaters. Like, if, yeah, crazily enough, he's a director who I never miss a movie like mm. uh, in theaters. And, uh, I don't know, hopefully in the future, King of Staten Island will get a theatrical run you know, in, in a few years. Who knows? Um, but still, like that's how much of an interesting filmmaker I think Apatow is and yeah Trainwreck is fine it, it, it's good but what I like about Trainwreck is like he gives and this is my main point with Apatow and King Staten Island he's a, he's a director who gives uh, a voice to these comedians 
like uh, you know Amy Schumer and um, of course Adam Sandler, <laughs> uh, like right. his best friend. Uh, but then here Pete Davidson, like he he gives the platform uh, to these you know distinct voices in comedy and says, "Here, here's a full length feature film." Um, and I find that fascinating, especially King Stanley, like, because it feels very much like yes, it's an Apatow hangout movie, but yes, also it's very much Pete Davidson's like personal story. So yeah, that's why I find Apatow interesting as a filmmaker because lately his you know later films have been like you know personal in a way that I don't think any well I wouldn't say any other filmmaker but like personal in a way few filmmakers make them you know but yeah that's my hot take on Judd Apatow <laughs> which I know it's crazy because like I feel like a lot of people are like not on that side <laughs> which is fine yeah, yeah. Uh, it I I think you brought up something really important is that regardless of like the quality or length of his movies, I think he does present like a point of view. It feels like, yeah. it feels like someone's idea. Um, and I don't think you can say that for particularly a lot of comedy filmmakers. Like you can see most of the approaches, particularly to like modern day studio comedy is just joke after joke, after joke, after joke without really any connective tissue or any emotional investment in these characters, but I think he's been doing that kind of since the beginning. I mean, even if you look at 40 year old Virgin and knocked up they're yeah. they're more overtly kind of like jokey, sarcastic Barbie, like, you know, um, you can tell there's a ton of improv in them of them going back and forth with the stuff. And, you know, some of it hasn't aged great, but you know, I, that's just something that happens. And, yeah. um, I, but it always feels like he brings it home to not like a message necessarily, but that it's anchored from, I wanted to say something about the nature of like how we, the, the importance that we place on sex and sexuality and 40 year old virgin or what parenting is like, or what going into your middle age is like without, you know, a saccharine, you know, a realistic portrait of what that's like, or what being a comedian is really like, you know, I think, you know, Apatow has uh, experience in the stand-up world, and he knows Adam Sandler's his best friend, like you said, and and knows that Adam Sandler had that that same kind of experience. And I don't think a lot of people were really open to to what the life of a comedian was like until Funny People, um, because there aren't a lot of movies about the subject, and the movies that are out about that subject are kind of middle of the road. There aren't like a ton of great ones that people talk about. Um, so he always like, he always anchors his films from like a, a moment, uh, or so wanting to say something about a particular moment in his life, it seems like. Um, and I think that that's the best way a writer director can approach something is to give it a point of view first and then let the jokes happen out of that point of view. And I think King of Staten Island happens, um, to do that really well because, he brought Pete Davidson in to co-write the script with him. So he said, I think you have an interesting story and I want to help you tell it, but I also want to do it in the sort of Apatow style of this hangout, breezy, you know, um, kind of, I don't want to say bloated, but, you know, really long form comedy. And so you get this blending of the, the, the two of their sensibilities really well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and of course, like he adds his own touches, like it is, an Apatow film um, from like the choice of like cinematographer. Well, uh, 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 was it Robert Elswit who shoots this? Which is 
crazy. <laughs> I mean, it, it looks fantastic. Um, but funny people. Hold on, let me look up funny people because like the the cinematographer on that is also like well regarded. It's uh, yeah, uh, Jonas Kaminsky, obviously Spielberg's uh, cinematographer. Oh, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So those touches are there. Like he wants to make a comedy film look artsy as hell, and he pulls it off. But also he's like, oh, it's an Appetite movie. I got to put in my daughter. So it, so so Maud Appetite's yeah. in there too. <laughs> So yeah, so that's yeah. yeah, that's what I I love about uh, Appetite too. Like, um, for whatever reason, you know, he's like I, I I I'm pretty sure he said, and I may be misquoting or misremembering, but I think a reason why he puts like his family in his movies is like uh, it's just a very selfish way of like saying instead of like just you know doing home movies at home, he's like my home movies are my feature films. Why not just put my mm-hmm. my family in there to just watch them age through the years, which is. I don't know. It's 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 something that I appreciate because uh, I don't know. It's 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 odd. I'll say, but I like those little touches um, of an Apatow movie, very distinctly Apatow. Because uh, what other filmmaker really does that? Um, let's talk about the cast in this. Because uh, not only is is, is Davidson uh, so great in the lead, um, the, the the entire cast in this is is, is really good too. Uh, M- uh, MJ, uh, who in the cast? Uh, would you like to highlight? So number one out the gate for me is Bill Burr. Oh, I yeah. love his performance in this movie. I think he's so, one of one of 2020's biggest surprises, and there were a lot. Was Bill Burr just being a super good actor? Yes, <laughs> um, yeah, he had a year. You know, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he was in season one of Mandalorian and. I didn't love it. He was kind of okay. He was fine. It was really hard to get past the space Boston accent. Um, And then, so I I had heard he was in this and I thought he was kind of a stepdad figure. I didn't know a ton about the movie going in, but watching him in this movie, I was like, if you would have told me at the beginning of 2020, there's going to be a global pandemic that kind of shuts the world down, or you're going to think Bill Burr should get some awards love. I would have believed you about one of those things, and it wasn't the Bill Burr thing. Um, you know, it, and he's awesome in his uh, season two uh, episode of Mandalorian, too. Oh, yeah. He's incredible in it. Yeah. Um, two of the best performances I've seen all year came from Bill Burr in two completely different things. I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you because uh, I actually forgot for a second that Bill Burr was in King of Stein Island, you know, as much as I've been anticipating it. Um, and then he shows up and go, oh, that's right, Bill Burr's in this. And then he give he in in Staten Island he gives a hell of a supporting performance, that's nuanced, yeah. that's like layered, and uh, you know similarly to you, uh, I I was like, yeah, he's not that great in season one of Mandalorian. He's he's got that Boston accent. It's throwing it's just, it's throwing me off. And then season two, his episode, just like you, I'm like, wow, he blew me away in that. It's like one of the best episodes of that season, which is an excellent season overall, mm-hmm. if you ask me. And yeah. w- one of the best characters to come out of that season. Um, so yeah, I love Bill Burr in this. <laughs> he's, 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 he's so good. And it another uh, again, I said multi-layered. Um, I like that uh, this this does follow kind of like the the you know comedic tropes where it's like yeah. Um, our main character, you know, has a situation and is uh, is like a, a you know is is at odds and ends with like the the people in his life. Um, and then Bill Burr's character is like, 
uh, aiming to be like his new stepdad after you know uh, his mom hasn't dated anybody since like his, his his dad died, and they have like a weird relationship in the beginning, but then it becomes like so like enriching and wholesome by the end. Yeah, uh, that it was unexpected is, is what I'm trying to say. That whole plot line with Bill Burr's character too. It yeah, so good. Uh, but speaking of mom, uh, Marissa Tomei. Uh, what do you think of Marissa Tomei oh. in this? So good. She's the best. I she's arguably like my favorite actress i think i'm always happy to see her um usually i feel like she's usually a surprise like she, she doesn't get a lot of attention especially in this late period of her career for being in things but i i'm always excited to see her part of it is because i think she's super attractive oh, yeah. but <laughs> also she's an excellent actress you know like and i don't think she gets enough credit for that she's been turning in good work for like 40 years now or something like or 35 um and she's just a really solid you know performer in this and her performance is very lived in it's nuanced it's not you know this mom character who's like haranguing her son and um about trying to move out she wants to support him she knows he's been through a rough time with the loss of his father but she also knows like at a certain point you do need to grow up and get out you know um and she clearly loves him and sometimes she makes decisions that may not feel like it or are hard on her but she has to put the positive spin on it and um I think she does a really good job writing that line and kind of evolving with the story of the film. You see her act differently once she's kind of had it. Once she hits a breaking point with both, you know, Bill Burr and Scott Ray or uh, Ray and Scott Ray. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Scott. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, once that happens, we kind of see her act a little colder but and then towards both of them and then find more common ground with them and it's really great it's this really great arc over the course of the movie and i feel like um movie moms don't get that sometimes like they're either way too saccharine of like all i did was care for you the whole time and they have you know big weepy monologues or they're just cold and out to you know stick it to their son to teach him a lesson or whatever and she is none of those things she's she embodies like a person like it feels very natural like i talked about at the at the beginning this it goes back to that sort of naturalistic way that the film is made and i love how um uh the supporting characters are played by people like uh, pamela adlon who is like so good in her brief scenes and also maybe my favorite little supporting player is see buscemi as as mm, what the, mm-hmm. the the head firefighter at the firehouse and yeah and yeah i think that is like perfect casting because uh buscemi was a former firefighter mm-hmm. and he brings that sort of like gravitas to the role if you know that in your mind you're like oh that's right it's it feels very true to life because it is like he he was a firefighter um so yeah those little performances those little characters those actors uh glad to see them in this in this in this uh in this movie um uh mj what, what else do, uh, should we touch on with king Staten island um well i did want to shout out bell powley too she's excellent in this movie oh yes yes a foil to uh scott and 
you know, she holds her own against that. I don't know what else she's been in. Let me see here. Diary of a Teenage Girl is where I know her from. Yeah, I don't think I've seen her in anything else, but she's great, man. She's like, uh, she's really magnetic. And the, the, the way she plays the character, like, it doesn't feel like a stereotypical, you know, Staten Island, almost like tough girl type of character she like she has wants and desires and wants to you know she doesn't want to leave staten island she wants to make staten island great and i actually understand that a lot like the the place i'm from i'm, I'm from bakersfield california if you guys know where that is uh it, probably mainly for country music is <laughs> our, our biggest claim to fame also we are on the porta part porta potty that tom hanks finds in castaway um <laughs> So him screaming Bakersfield is one of our claim to fame, claims to fame. And uh, I don't hate the town. A lot of people grow up here hating it. There's a lot to not like. Um, you know, we're pretty rural. And as such, we have some uh, dicey politics um, in the majority of the town, to put it lightly. And, uh, you know, but I do think there's a rich history here of music and culture that we've kind of lost. And so... I've done what I can. I'm not a performer or anything, but I'm an audio engineer. So I've done what I can to kind of support the live music scene here and, and really kind of make uh, make Bakersfield like a spot that, that people have. And we're kind of culturally starved here a little bit. The biggest, the last biggest cultural movement we had here, the band Korn is from here. Oh, um, there you go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so proud that of. was, yeah, that was the last thing. It's weird. Cause you'll see, You'll just see the guy from Corn, Jonathan Davis. Oh wow! Uh, you'll just there. see him. You'll just see him around town, just doing like dad errands. Like I saw, I saw him at Best Buy buying a huge TV Holy one crap. time, and it was just it was so hard to take him seriously. He's a nice guy. I've like I've worked, I've had to like work with him a couple times from at like venues that I've worked at. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just super weird because you'll just walk by him and not even register that it's him, and then you you always have this moment where you're like, was that? <laughs> was that Jonathan Davis? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> yeah, super leash. tall guy with. Yeah, yep. And he's the funniest part is he's always humming to himself whenever I've walked by him, which just makes it sound like he's always singing "Freak on a Leash." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a surreal thing to walk by somebody and go, "Wait a second, is that literally Freak on a Leash? Is this is this this guy? Is this the guy?" Yeah, yeah. Um, but no. Uh, to your point. Uh, Belle Polly. Uh, I, 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 it's not like like she's like the quote unquote like romantic interest. I mean, not mm-hmm. to spoil it, but you know, it kind of ends how you think it would end. But the way right. it gets there, it's it's. I think it's unique enough because I think it plays into uh, Pete Davidson, uh, his characters like real life, like emotional, like uh, him dealing with this emotional trauma he's he's had for years after his dad's death. And he can't have, like, a normal relationship. He's, like, unable to do so, uh, you know, uh, mentally because of that trauma. And I think they deal with that in a way I don't see many movies deal with, like, realistically. Like, he kind of lays it out. He's like, listen, you know, I may not show it, but I do care about you. And I find that very, like, again, true to life, which I appreciate in this movie. Yeah, he does a great job with the trauma aspect. So not to make it super heavy. I know this is a 30, 40 minute podcast, but I, lo- I lost my father last year. Um, oh, wow. To cancer. Yeah. And uh, thank you. And um, seeing this and watching, you know, another kind of young, young, youngish guy. I'm, I'm only a handful of years older than, than Pete Davidson um, kind of process that trauma. It really helped me a lot. Um, 
I didn't really fully start to put in the work to process my grief. Um, I've had a couple other losses in my early 20s that were really devastating to me as well. And so I didn't put in that work to get therapy or, um, you know, really do the work to let myself feel the feelings of grief because, hey, grieving someone sucks. Like, there's nothing good about it. It's not fun to do. I hated it every second of counseling, but it helped me immensely. And looking at my life... At the, even through the pandemic, at the end of 2020 versus the beginning, um, mentally, like when I wasn't, when I was so opposed to getting the the grief counseling that I desperately needed, and like the shout out to to my wife for making me basically, um, it's it's better, it's way better to to process that and like do it in a healthy way, and you know if you don't stuff like this character happens and it's very real. I love the scene. It makes me laugh because, uh, I don't remember. I don't even remember the context of it. Cause the movie's so just kind of breezy about it, but he's talking to his mom. I think it's when she tells him for the first time that he's dating Ray right. or it's, or it's, it's, uh, when she's trying to say like, Hey, you need to get your own apartment. And he's like, no, like I'm messed up. Like there's, you know, I have Crohn's disease and there's something wrong in my brain and I can't find my watch. (laughs) That line is so great because when you're in the middle of like, um, just like your anxiety telling you everything that's wrong with you, like those little like kind of bullshit things also pop, pop up too, where it's like, well, I have my anxiety and I miss my dad and you know, I miss, uh, my best friend and I miss his dad. And, um, I'm having a really hard time in school, but also I like, I don't know where my debit card is or whatever. <laughs> like, um, those, those little things pop up too. And it was, it was just this very like funny real moment. Um, it's the movie's funny in the way that, uh, okay. Yeah. Let's just bring up all my drama. So, uh, when I was 20, uh, I lost my best friend and his dad both to cancer within eight months of each other. Oh, wow. And, uh, it's so this movie is funny in the same way that the movie 5050 is funny. Oh yeah. Um there's you know the 5050 is kind of front loaded with the more Seth Rogeny type of jokes but then as Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character gets diagnosed with cancer and uh things like that it takes on a more subtle funny and there's certain there's certain jokes that I think like you know I don't want to gatekeep it or anything but there are certain jokes that really made me laugh that the person I was watching with was kind of like, are you okay? And it was just because I remembered those moments between me and my best friend when he had his cancer. Wow. Um, and I think it was, it was so, it was so specifically something that happens when you're, especially when you're kind of young and, you know, millennial sarcastic, the, the, the way our generation is, um, that that really colored it in is like oh yeah i totally remember remember this you know and that was something that hit me on my second watch of king of staten island is this movie almost feels like um if inside lewin davis was about a millennial guy yeah i i i totally see that wow yeah and and um uh i'm glad you brought up 50 50 because that's another beautiful movie a comedy uh, drama that I love and felt mm-hmm. so real too and similarly this has like so like, like quiet beautiful moments that'll like stay with me like I'm not gonna ruin the context but um, 
uh, Bill Burr's character allows Pete Davidson to tattoo something on his back, which out of context mm-hmm. sounds insane. But in the movie, <laughs> in the movie, the way it's shot, again by you know master cinematographer Robert El- uh, Elswit, the way it's shot, like it's beautiful. Uh, I, mm-hmm. And that will kind of like stay with me. I love like, another reason why I love Appetite movies is because it has moments like that throughout. Like you know, moments where I completely lose my lose my shit. And moments like I think the funniest thing I saw a year was um, that whole sequence where <laughs> a guy randomly walks into the firehouse and Pete Davidson's like, "What's wrong?" And the guy's like, I, I, "I'm bleeding from the stomach." <laughs> and that whole thing is just, just killed me because it, it's it yeah so. When a movie balances like real life heavy trauma and and makes you think about like you know you know your own life, it's beautiful. But then it, it also makes you laugh. It's another beautiful thing. So um, yeah, and the way that sequence kind of leads into the reveal of the tattoo as well oh, is yeah. really beautiful. Like yeah. it, it without it's it's this weird cause and effect word that seems completely out of nowhere. Even when it started, when I was watching the movie. The second time today, I was like, oh, this part's really weird. And then I, because I had forgotten kind of that it was the lead into that reveal of, of the tattoo. Um, and it made way more sense. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. just like, oh, this this felt out of place the last time we watched it. And then I remembered, oh, no, it didn't. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, any last thoughts on King of Stein Island, uh, MJ? Um, it's good. I think it's kind of an overlooked movie that came out this year. I think people wrote it off because of Pete Davidson, and I don't think you should do that. Um, yeah. I think uh, I think he gets a bad rap because of kind of, like you said, his vibe and sort of how he looks a little bit <laughs> um, and the, the way he carries himself. But I think he does some good work on SNL, too. Like, the, there's this recurring character he has named Chad that is one of the funniest things I think SNL's done in a long time. And... Uh, it does kind of play into the stereotypes that you think about Pete Davidson, but I think it's a, it's a really good movie. It's a really nuanced movie all the way around with a lot of good performances. And then the, the Apatow cameos are in there. There's some comedians in there that if you know who they are, you're like, Oh, Hey, you know, there's Rich Voss and his wife who have a podcast being belligerent customers at a restaurant. Um, Oh, I will say all the stuff at the restaurant was very funny. I've never worked in a restaurant, uh, but I've worked in venues that have restaurants in them and they absolutely nailed the vibe of restaurant employees yeah yeah that that felt real and uh, as bizarre as like uh, the stuff those characters do you know to fight for tips i can <laughs> i can i can see that happening <laughs> oh totally um before we go I, i've been asking um uh, my guests uh, this question uh, MJ, how have you dealt with just movie watching during the pandemic? And, and are there uh, any other movies you want to highlight from this past year? Um, so, yeah, there were... I, I leaned a lot more into watching stuff that had kind of passed me by. Um, and, you know, there weren't a ton of, of new releases that I saw, but, you know, it was a good time to catch up on some Scorsese that I hadn't seen. I watched Last Temptation of Christ for the first time. Um, nice. Yeah, and uh, watch Manhunter for the first time, early Michael Mann stuff. Yeah. Um, but I found a, a couple a couple movies I really liked. I really liked Vast of Night oh, on yes. Amazon. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was great. Um, um, I really liked Freaky 
I thought that movie was delightful. Yes, I I have been singing that film's praises since I saw it. Um, it's another one like, like similarly to Kingstein Island. I think they're both Universal. I think that's the connection. Like they're uh, you know, Kingstein Island was out on VOD for twenty bucks to rent, which I'm like, yeah. I think Freaky right now, as of this recording, is available to rent for twenty bucks. I managed to see it at the drive-in for cheap Same. for cheaper yeah and it, it it blew me away i was like yes like i i i knew it was gonna be good but it really like you know uh threw me for a loop with how good it was so uh for anybody listening who wants to rent it and is hesitant about it and you're willing to you know to, to throw 20 bucks at it do it i think it's that good but if you if you want to wait wait and watch it eventually please do it's really good yep Yep, but the t- so the two big ones for me, the one from this year that was new to me that didn't come out this year was Sorcerer. Uh, oh, I watched yeah. that for the first time. It's, I mean, everything you've heard about it. If you like, what I've been saying on uh, to everyone is there's three camps. There's people who have never heard of the movie. There's people who have heard of it because people who have seen it won't shut the hell up about it. And that's the third camp is the people who have seen it and won't shut the hell up about it. So yeah. I finally crossed that off my watch list. And I'm so it was the most stressful movie I've ever seen. It's um, it's a spectacular movie. I, I, I love it. I, I've been meaning to rewatch it recently um, just because I think that's the vibe I'm in or I was in in sure. 2020 mostly just constant anxiety. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, for people who are in the first camp who uh is it the first camp who have been uh, hearing have about, never heard of have it. never heard of it there you go sorcerer yeah. you've heard about it and if you're in the second camp now uh watch it so you can be in a third camp yep and then the one from 2020 that was my absolute favorite was sound of metal uh i oh, love yeah. that movie yeah so good i just i just talked with sam van Heron about it for a past segment um that it, okay. that was amazing uh that's in my top 10 now of the year of 2020 um, on Amazon Prime for anybody who wants to yep. watch it, please, yep. please Free do to watch. It's 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 amazing. Um, MJ, thank you. Uh, this is great talking to you about uh, yeah, for sure. King of Staten Island again. Uh, hey, uh, it's on DVD. It's on DVD, Blu-ray, VOD. It's out there. You can buy it. Buy King of Staten Island. Uh, if if you're wary of you know Pete Davidson, uh, don't be. Give it a shot. Um, uh, so please do that before we go before say goodbye to MJ plugs MJ where can people listening find you online sure uh, I mostly am on Twitter at MJ Smith 891 and I host two podcasts one is called real perspective r-e-e-l perspective where we talk about current release movies which there weren't a ton in um, 2020 so we shifted a little bit to some TV uh, most of, most of the episodes you'll be hearing are more about we did the first two seasons of Cobra Kai we were doing a Mandalorian season two episode soon um, so be on the lookout for that and then the other one I co-host with uh, Sarah Buttery from Jump Cut Online is Let's Jaws for a Minute which is a minute by minute breakdown of our favorite movie of all time jaws uh yep and that's uh, 15 16 episodes in so there's plenty of time to catch up this (laughs) that series will be going until probably november of 2021 so yeah jump on board with that it's uh it's a good time i love doing it it also has uh an absolute banger theme song that my wife wrote and performed so i'm very proud of that um yeah so those are the, the places you can find me there you go that jaws uh series sounds up my alley i gotta check that out um excellent 
thank you, MJ. Uh, again, great conversation. Um, uh, great talking about a great movie with great people. I think that's the point of this series so far. Um, great yeah. people, great movies, great episode. Um, no, that's not going to be the catchphrase of this show. Um, <laughs> it's a good saying, though. Uh, but the, the actual final catchphrase I say at the end of every episode is, hey, see you at the movies. No, I never say that. All right, bye. Thank you.